You're listening to episode 116 of Diferente. Hispanic Heritage Month is almost here, and in honor of this 30-day celebration of culture in the United States, we have prepared two very special episodes for your listening pleasure. This is numero uno. But first, a brief history lesson. On September 5th, 2017, the Trump administration rescinded DACA, putting approximately 689,800 people in the United States in total limbo. You might have heard of them being referred to as DREAMers. DREAMers are undocumented young individuals who arrived in the United States before they turned 16. Now, you will hear many arguments about how these kids arrived here, but I will tell you that most of them were not asked if they wanted to tag along. They were brought here. They had no choice because they were kids. Some were babies when they arrived. They are the sons and daughters of undocumented immigrants, and most of them have no path to obtaining legal status. Until 2012, when they were given a ray of hope by President Obama. This temporary fix is called DACA. It stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. According to the USCIS website, on June 15, 2012, the Secretary of Homeland Security announced that certain people who came to the United States as children and meet several guidelines, such as being enrolled in school or graduated from school, and having no felonies or significant misdemeanors, may request consideration of deferred action, which basically means they would not be deported for a period of two years and they are eligible for work authorization. The problem is that DACA does not provide lawful status. It's only a temporary plug in a leaky ceiling we call the immigration system. So the argument in D.C. goes, we need a better solution. Yeah, we've been telling you that for years since you couldn't pass the DREAM Act because we need a permanent solution now or many of the people who have grown up in this country, studied here, graduated from college here, or found a career and are paying taxes like you and I could be deported. In this episode, I interviewed Brenda Bautista. She's a dreamer who, like most of these young people, grew up loving this country and feeling as American as Daddy Yankee. I hope her story inspires understanding and empathy toward what dreamers are experiencing. But most of all, I hope it motivates people to make a positive impact in the lives of our fellow Americans. Bienvenidos. Welcome to Diferente. My name is Maribel Quesada-Smith. I'm an expert at questioning everything who wants to bring more color into your life. I'll be coming to you every week with a little humor and a mountain of passion to share with you experiences and lessons in life, culture, creativity, and business that will inspire all of us to explore different perspectives. Don't be surprised if you find yourself motivated to shake things up. That's known to be a side effect of the Diferente life, and it's contagious. Now let's get to it. Brenda, thank you so much for making time to chat with me on Diferente. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm very excited to share my story. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to have you all the way from Mexico City, La Ciudad de Mexico. How do you like it down there? I really enjoy living here. It's uh, It took a little bit of time, but I've adjusted and I love it here. I don't see myself living anywhere else, actually. <laughs> Oh, well, we'll get into that a little bit more. So let's start from when you were a kid 
in Mexico. You're originally from Mexico. What part? Yeah, I'm originally from a small town called Palmar Chico in the state of Mexico, El Estado de Mexico. I remember very, very little because my mom, actually, we migrated when I was like five years old. So I remember very little. But it, it was a fun story because the few memories of this trip to to the U.S., I remember being behind, like in the trunk of a car, this little five-year-old. And at some point we got to the border and the agents there kind of wave at you and you wave back and then you pass. What? <laughs> yeah, something crazy like that. And then somehow we ended up like in California because we have some family there. And then somehow, I don't remember, we arrived in Chicago and you saw these huge buildings. And I was just like, whoa, what is this? You know, from a small town to this huge city as a five-year-old, you <laughs> Everything happened so quickly, you know, and so that was the beginning of... Yeah, of the journey. So you actually remember crossing the border. Yeah. Okay, so obviously the rules were a little bit different or the laws were probably maybe a little bit more lax at the time. But do you remember it being traumatizing in any way, the trip across the border? Not really. I mean, because previously to that, my dad really did cross the border, went over the desert, you know, did all of that. And he saved up so we wouldn't have to go through the desert or anything crazy like that. Right. So you wouldn't have to actually walk. And there were no questions asked. You were just like, okay, I guess I'm going in the trunk of this car. <laughs> yeah. I and mean, I was with my mom. She just told me to be very quiet the entire time. And I don't know how I managed to stay so calm. I mean, I was a little girl. So then you guys get to Chicago. And what happens when you get to Chicago? So when we get to Chicago, we end up living with our cousins and aunts. I just remember living in an apartment with a lot of people, a lot of cousins, a lot of aunts and uncles. So it was a really, really small one bedroom, two bedroom apartment, but with lots of people Man, of all not, ages. Not helping the stereotypes here. So, <laughs> but that's how it is, you know, and that's yeah. who you come to, you know, your family. Yeah, it was just very strange. And of course, I didn't speak English, so everything was so different. All right. So tell me a little bit about what part of Chicago did you guys grow up in? We grew up in Rogers Park, Edgewater area, the north side of Chicago. That's where where I went to elementary school. And high school's a little different because I went to a magnet school and so it was far, but, but that's where we grew up. Did you feel like you fit in in that area? You know, the cool part about this area, it was really multicultural. So there were immigrants and people from all over the world and everyone we just mixed, you know, and we all just got along. I feel blessed. You know, now that I work in an organization where I, I work with different cultures, I feel that my upbringing, upbringing really helped me a lot. I mean, I was exposed to everyone. You know? It was like a melting pot there. So the funny thing is with my own Mexican little people, they were kind of cold towards me. So mm -hmm. I've always had like Japanese friends, <laughs> Indian friends. It was really strange that like your own people, you know, kind of pushed you away a bit. So that was really weird for me growing up. Why did they push you away? I don't know. I And now that I'm older and I live in Mexico, sometimes I feel instead of helping each other, we kind of make each other's lives like not the best. <laughs> I was going to ask you what school was like, but it sounds like it was very diverse. Did people ever treat you differently because you were not born in the States? Um, I never felt that. Um, I think it's just because it was so diverse and everyone came from all over the world. It would, I always felt welcome. And I also loved school and I was always a nerd. So I learned things and I was like the teacher's pet, you know. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> I adapted very well. That, that's another reason why people didn't like you, probably. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that could be it. <laughs> Did you ever wonder why you couldn't travel outside of the U.S. when you were a kid? Well, I would read a lot. Um, and I, I remember, I don't remember the title of this book, but it was about this, like, kind of like a, it was like a circus and this bear or animal or whatever. So he would always tell the world that he would travel to all these places far, far, far away. And so he would describe them in detail in this book. And I've always wondered what it would be to travel to Egypt, you know, all these crazy places. And then I would ask my mom and, you know, I, she wouldn't be able to explain to me where all these places were. So I just thought it was fictional. You know, I never thought it was real. I just thought it was like my books uh-huh. <laughs> said these places existed, you know. I mean, I knew Mexico existed because like my parents would talk about it. But I was a kid. I mean, it was only when I obviously starting in high school and things like that, that's when you start figuring out that other parts of the world exist, you know? Basically, you never question why you were brought to the U.S. You never asked your parents why you guys were here or were, I guess, immigrants. No, you know, when I started questioning more of that was actually in high school, when we can't get a driver license when you apply to college, it's so complicated, you know, you don't get FAFSA, you don't get any of these typical application process. It's not for you, you know. That's when I started questioning my parents. Because before that, I just thought I was somehow that I had all the rights as everyone else. I was, I thought it was part of this community, you yeah. know. Yeah, there was no reason to question it because you were fitting in so well, I guess. And your parents obviously came to the States. I'm guessing they came because of work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was very difficult times in Mexico. And of course, just very similar to other families. They wanted a better life for for us. When you were that age, what did you dream of doing as an adult? I actually wanted to be a teacher. I always wanted to be a math teacher. (laughs) So that's what I've always wanted to be when I was a kid. And And I think it's, you know, not having exposure to other careers. You see your teachers as your role models. And the older you get, you see, oh, wow, this, you could be this, you could be the other. But, you know, I was the first one to go to college. So I knew like, oh, yeah, I have to go to college. But I didn't know why I had to go to college. Yeah. Who was the guide for you when you made a decision in in high school that you wanted to go to college? Who helped you? I've always been very, very blessed and very fortunate. I've always like when I was in third grade, like this teacher noticed that I, I learned a little bit faster than most of my classmates. So she made sure that I always got the best teachers and that I ended up with this new program where these magnet programs. So, and in high school, I've met a wonderful person who was like my little sister, Angie. I think she was like my little angel and my, my guide along the way in high school. And before that, like my third Uh grade teacher and many other teachers that were along the way that have guided me and helped me. Just beautiful people. (laughs) What happened when you told your parents, Hey, I want to go to college. They've always supported me. I mean, they also, like my mom, the highest education grade uh, she's had is first grade and my dad is literate. So, I mean, they don't understand a lot of these concepts, but they love me very much. So they've always been very supportive. This was new for everyone. Was there any point that you thought I might not get in because of my immigration status or how am I going to apply? I mean, how did you even manage all of this? I never stopped searching. I always... I never give up. Like I'm the type of person that once you start something and I would research, I would stay up late. I mean, I would ask everybody. I would do absolutely everything just to figure out how I was going to get into college. And then finally, one of the the Posse Foundation, I applied. I was given the scholarship, 
But then there was like something there because I didn't have a social security number. But thankfully, the university through Posse, they were very understanding and they supported me across the way. You know, I never thought that a university in Granville, Ohio, of all places, would be super supportive and very thankful to them. What organization was this? You mentioned Posse, you said? So the Posse Foundation, this one was based in Chicago. It's um, for inner city kids that want to go to universities that might be first generation. They support them across the way. You know, it's not just they give you a scholarship. They work with the university and they give you mentorship across the way. So there was no way that you were going to go to a state school, right? Because I, I would think that would be super difficult to actually enroll in without a social security number. Yeah, I mean, I applied absolutely everywhere. I was like, somehow, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I'm going to get into college, you know? Uh -huh. I, I, I didn't know what I was getting myself into, but I knew that I had to go to college and I was going to make it happen. I mean, I applied to state colleges also and I got accepted, but of course the funding wasn't there. And the scholarship came in early, so I, I just took it. I also received the a scholarship to be a teacher, the... I think it was the Golden Apple Scholarship, but I knew I wouldn't be able to practice. I mean, I wouldn't be able to be a teacher because I didn't have the social security number. I didn't have papers. So this other opportunity came up and I took it. I said, well, I'm going to go for it. So let's recap, because you went from Mexico at five years old to Chicago at five years old, discovering this whole new world, thinking you were just a part of the community and growing up in that community, feeling like you fit in. Then, boom, you turn 16 and you can't even get a driver's license. What was your reaction at that point? Actually, I was so angry with my parents. So angry. I just didn't understand. Like, I, I couldn't understand why I couldn't do everything my friends were doing, you know? Like, getting the driver's license, that was basic. Getting, like, a normal job at the mall. I've always wanted to work at one of those. But, you know, to graduate from high school, I had to take driver's ed. That was part of the curriculum. I gave the teacher this tax ID number that she looked at very strangely, but she just, she just said, okay. She just went with it. <laughs> yeah, she just went with it. And then, you know, I think that was sophomore year, if I'm not mistaken. And then by junior year, you start looking at colleges and all these things. And I would ask my parent and my mom, you know, do you have this, that? You know, they keep asking me for all these things. And she would say, well, you don't have that. You're here without papers, Mika, you know, like you don't have any of that. What did that feel like? I was angry, very angry for a very long time towards my mom and my dad. I just didn't understand why they would do this. You know, it's like I felt like like it was something negative. At that point, you don't you're a teenager. You don't realize that they want the best for you. And, you know, that's why they moved to the States. Yeah. They also probably didn't think you were going to be going to college. Yeah, I've always fit in. I've always had friends. I've always done well in school. Like I never thought that something like that would like stop me. I didn't even know I would have to worry about that. Well, let's be real. What would have been the options? I mean, they brought you to the States undocumented. I think at that point, there are no options. Well, they're going to work somehow, a waiter or whatever, or some job that they don't really do this whole background search in you. You know what I'm saying? You know, what's interesting is that you and I have a similar story, but different, very different, because we moved to the U.S. when I was 12. But thankfully, My parents came with work visas, so I was under them and I was able to have all of my documentation. But what's interesting is that many times I felt similar to you. I felt the same way. I felt like I was being held back because of the fact that I was an immigrant, 
because I couldn't do a lot of the things that my friends could do. You know, being under your parents' work visa is very different than being an actual citizen because being under your parents' visa, you can't get a job. You have to wait till you graduate college to do that. So I couldn't have like a regular after-school job. I couldn't do a lot of the regular things that my friends were doing, like studying abroad. I couldn't apply to any college scholarships. In fact, I didn't get to apply. I didn't get that privilege because I wasn't a citizen. Right. Even yeah. though my family paid taxes and we were here legally, but right, right. you still don't get that privilege. So I, I understand that frustration. And I too felt that anger towards my parents. Like, oh my God, why? Like, why, why did you have to do this to me? Yeah. But in the long <laughs> run, it all worked yeah, yeah. out. Thankfully, I did have a legal status where I could eventually build my own life. But it's frustrating when you're a kid because you feel like you're just a part of the community. You feel like you're just another American kid. Did you ever feel like you were afraid of being found out? Like, did you ever have fear of someone knowing the situation, like once you went to college? Well, once I started college, because I had to get from Chicago to Granville, Ohio. So every time I got on that plane to Columbus, Ohio, I would just pray to God that there were no immigration officers. Like I would get into panic mode and I had to stay calm, you know, because if you look weird, they're going to stop you. Yeah. So I would show them my college ID and then they would ask me for my driver's license, all these things. So I was like, I'm, I don't have it. I'm going to college. So they just let me uh -huh. pass. And so I just like, I hope that they never asked me for a passport, you know, anything else. <laughs> and they never did. But it was very like, I've always felt like that was going to end it all. <laughs> me taking that plane to Columbus, Ohio. And this was Denison University in Granville, Ohio, for anyone who's not familiar, which is a great school. It's a wonderful school, great professors. I've learned a lot. I, I was very blessed to have graduated from there. And what was your plan after going to Denison? Did you actually think while you were going to Denison that you would actually get a job afterwards? Yeah, well, absolutely. I thought that some immigration law would pass and I would be able to get all the jobs I wanted. <laughs> and that didn't happen. Okay. As you're nearing graduation and no laws have changed, what was going through your mind? I fell into a depression. I was very sad. You know, you get drained this American dream since you're a kid, you know, you yeah. work hard put your part, you're a good citizen, and you'll be able to study or work and do anything you want. Mm -hmm. And then I, I graduate, I work my butt off and, and guess what, you can't get the jobs that you want, or you can't go to law school, you can't get any job. So it was a very difficult time for me. What helped you get through that? Well, my husband, Alejandro, has always been very supportive. I think he's also been very instrumental in helping me stay positive throughout mm -hmm. this craziness. Um, Do you feel like you're American or Mexican? <laughs> Everyone wants to ask me the one million dollar question. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm going to be honest about all this. Okay. So coming to Mexico, it's difficult because I look Mexican. I'm Mexican. You know, I was born in Mexico, but I was raised, educated in the U.S. So I'm very direct and there's certain, you know how in Mexico you give people a kiss in the cheek and things like that? So I was used to giving people the hand and kind of moving away. So there's like certain habits that you just grow up with or the way you resolve an issue, the way you react to things. You know, it's very American because I was raised over there. But I, at this point, I've learned to accept both parts and I, I want to take and I'm taking and I hope I'm taking the best from both worlds. Yeah. Because I think a lot of things that I've 
learned over there, just growing up in that culture are very beneficial for the improvement of Mexico, you know, and also values that I have from Mexico, I think are also values that are needed in the U.S. So I, I integrate both of them together. And I think I'm a little bit of both. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. I feel the same way. <laughs> you yeah i'm talking to you what are you doing with this podcast are you sharing it with your friends because one of the best ways to let somebody know that you care about them is by sharing thought inspiring content with them like this podcast where we share stories and experiences that expose us to different perspectives here are three easy ways to share the show you can take a screenshot of this episode and post it on social media text it directly to anyone in your contact list or you can also send them the link to our website, diferentepodcast.com. Voila! Super simple. If you like Diferente, the best way to support us is by sharing it, sharing it, and sharing it some more. Now let's get on with the show. So just to backtrack a little bit, after college, is that when you met your husband? Yeah, just end of senior year. Okay, so end of senior year of college, you meet your future husband. You didn't know it at the time, I guess. And how long after that did you guys get married? Oh, don't ask me these questions. This is how I'm going to get divorced. Because I don't <laughs> remember these things. <laughs> All right, let's just say a couple years later. A couple years later. <laughs> so once you guys got married, was there any hope that maybe you could get citizenship through marriage? Or Well, I mean, he's a U.S. resident. So, I mean, it's just my situation is very difficult, you know, just... He would know how to explain it better because he does immigration law stuff. But my case particularly, because my parents brought me in without papers, I had to leave the country no matter what, you know, in order to someday get any type of residency. If my parents would have brought me with a visa or I would automatically have gotten residency by getting married to Alejandro. But that mm -hmm. was not the case here. <laughs> and things weren't looking very hopeful either at that time, because I don't even think President Obama was in office when you graduated college. So there was no talk about the Dreamers or those programs were not in place. That's when the Dreamers and all of that movement, it was barely starting. And I mean, Senator Durbin has always, since I can remember, since I, I interned for him, actually. Really? So, yeah. So that's another very interesting story. So through the Posse Foundation, the scholarship that I received, they help you find like internships. I've always wanted to be in government. I've always wanted to do many things. And so I, I applied to this internship with Senator Durbin. I was like, I don't know, maybe they're not going to do a background check. They're not going to ask me for anything. <laughs> you know? Really? To work in the Senate? <laughs> well, you know, whatever. <laughs> and, and so I went to the interview and then they were asking everyone the social security number, all these things. And I said, um, I don't have that. And the chief of staff heard my story and she she risked everything, I think. And she said, I'm taking you in under my wing. You're my intern. You know? <laughs> and that's how I wow. became an intern there. And she's great. Gladys Old is amazing. And I've always been blessed with angels along the way. And she's another one of them. And Dervin was one of the main, if I'm not mistaken, the one that was always behind this uh, immigration reform and dreamers and all of that. So they were all very supportive in the office. And for those who might not know, tell us who Senator Durbin is. He's the, the U.S. Senator for Illinois. It's still currently. Yes. Mm -hmm. So after college, after your internship, you get married to this awesome man, Alejandro. At some point after your graduation and after you spend a couple more years 
living in the U.S., you made the decision to go back to Mexico. What did your family say? They thought I was the craziest person in the world. Why? <laughs> I mean, because our parents, they brought us to have a better life, better opportunity. And then I was going back to something that they thought was non-existent. You know, what was I going to do in Mexico? There was absolutely no opportunity. Like, what was I going to do there? But again, it's we all have different experiences. You know, we're from a small town. You don't really get to travel over Mexico. They weren't fluent in English. They didn't have a university degree. You know, all these pluses that I had that helped uh-huh. me from day one get a job. So my my life here is very different to what they live. I've been blessed with opportunities. How did you feel when you were getting ready to leave? I mean, like you were leaving this country that you knew for most of your life. It, it's like a dream. You don't really realize how true it is until you land in Mexico City and you can't go back. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like, real. Oh, like, it do, it, like it doesn't process until you land <laughs> and you can't go back. What went through your mind when you realized that? I was like, you are so crazy. No, it was really, I, I thought I was making the stupidest decision of my life, actually. Oh my gosh. But what changed? Everything went very well. You know, I, I found a job I enjoy and I love and thought it was the stupidest decision, but I think it was the smartest decision I've ever made. Yeah, except now you don't get to see your family. Yeah, except I don't get to see my family. But now I have two more years to go. So it's almost my 10-year bar is almost up. So, Oh, wait, explain that a little bit. What do you mean by that? So if you live in the country undocumented and then you move back to Mexico or wherever else, um, they give you a bar. Like you can't go to the States for 10 years. And so after those 10 years are over, you can apply for whatever visa you may qualify for. So in December, I'll have eight years. And after that, two more years. So I'm almost, it's almost been a decade that I've been out of the U.S. If I had a criminal record, I would never be able to go back. And is that your hope that you'll be able to come visit? More than anything, I want to see my family, you know, my mom, my brothers, my sisters. That's what I'm most looking forward to because I really love Mexico. I'm very happy here. So do you have any regrets about the way all this has worked out for you? No, absolutely not. I mean, it's tough with the family, you know, not being able to see my mom and my dad. And um, But my nephews come and visit me. And so mm-hmm. I spend some time with them. And thank God for Skype and FaceTime and all those. <laughs> That's the only difficult part. Tell me about your job now. So what did you end up doing? Did you end up going to law school? So no, I'm not in law school in Mexico works a little different because it's more like a bachelor's degree. So I didn't pursue that. I'm actually working at a at an international organization called CIMIT. It's the International Mason Weed Improvement Center. We work across the world to end hunger and improve the livelihoods of people around the world and eliminate poverty. And it's just beautiful. It's the work we do, it's amazing. I'm doing what I'm very passionate about and I'm very, very happy and blessed. So And what about your life in Mexico City? Are you loving it? Did you make friends? So because I'm in this international organization, a lot of my friends are international. I mean, I have Mexican friends, but I also have friends from all over the world. How did you feel going back to Mexico after all those years? Did you feel like you would actually fit in or were you able to fit in? Did people treat you differently for being... Yeah, you're, we're a little different. I would say you yeah. also. If you I understand. No, <laughs> so that, I, that's why. I, no, we are. We are. We're both a little different. I think when I go to back to Mexico, oftentimes I'm embarrassed sometimes because I don't know all the lingo or, you know, 
whatever is going on locally. So yes, you do get treated a little bit differently. What was your experience like? I used to get in trouble all the time because because I'm very direct. You know, that's how you are in the States. You say, yes, please, thank you. But here you kind of need to tell them a little bit of a love story before they do something for you. <laughs> <laughs> and so I remember my first job, they called me to HR because oh. someone complained that I was being very rude and disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so confused. I was like, I don't remember being rude and disrespectful. I was just, I just asked them to please do this and thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So little things like that, or I would never give a kiss to anyone on the cheek and I kind of just give them my hand. And so they would be like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Why don't you want to give me a kiss on the cheek? So those little things are a little bit, were a little bit difficult or like in the States, you can complain about everything. And, you know, normally customer service, they resolve your issues, but here you can complain Uh about your electricity not working and (laughs) they don't really care. So that was like difficult, you know, adapting to those types of things. But in general, people are very welcoming. (laughs) So the complaining, that is so, so annoying. Customer service in Mexico, I I hate to say it, but I don't always have the best experiences when it comes to that. And that is very frustrating. That's one thing that I would miss if I had to move away. Yeah. So those little things, but you get used to that, you know. Um, I mean, I went to public school, but I was still raised to kind of speak up my mind and kind of stand up for people or stand up for myself. And here, I think people were educated a little different. So I'm always like standing up for people and they look at me strangely. <laughs> After a while, you kind of you kind of know how to better communicate with everybody. <laughs> Yeah. How how did you feel about the fact that in Mexico, people can actually hire or put out higher ads that say female, 25 to 35 years old? Did you see stuff like that when you were trying to find a job? Yes. I, I was so confused. I was, I was angry. You know, I, I was like, what is wrong? And actually one time I went to an interview and they were questioning me about when I was going <gasps> to have children or something. I was like, wait, how is this? relevant to my abilities yeah. too. <laughs> and so, so they asked me that. And then I, I just said, well, thank you for this interview. I don't think that's any of your business. And then I just left. <laughs> so you get, you did not get the job. <laughs> no, no, I didn't get the job, but I was like, I'm not going to work in that environment, whatever. You know, I came to Mexico to find the job I want. I'm not going to get whatever job and just go along with people. You know what I'm saying? If I don't like something, I'm just not going to go for it. That's not what I want. You know, I'm not, I can't see my family and now like this stupid stuff. No way. I'm not going to accept that. Right. So not only can I, do I not see my family and leave the country that I grew up in, now I have to put up with sexism and deal with it (laughs) in the workplace. (laughs) Like, yeah, that's one of the things that I always cringe at when I see the help wanted ads. Sometimes when I, you know, when I'm visiting and I see, you know, an ad, señorita de 25 a 35 años with X amount of qualifications. But sometimes they even go as far as to say single. Your weight and the weight in your height and everything. I've seen those. I'm telling you, it's so sad. Honestly, that's one of the reasons why I think people find it so hard to get jobs in Mexico. Because once you get through a certain age, unless you have a certain amount of experience or acumen, you're done. You can't get a job anymore. Why is this relevant? You know, so those things were very difficult for me. Very, very difficult. I can understand that because that would be so difficult for me as well. What's next for you, though, professionally? 
I'm going to do an MBA. I'm actually applying for an MBA. Um, right now, at the moment, I'm a project manager, and I want to be the presidenta, so I need to do that MBA and move forward so I can apply for those management jobs in international organizations. And I'm also looking at opening a, a business, so those two things are in on the way. That's awesome. <laughs> so I've talked to people who don't understand why dreamers need to be allowed to work and go to school in the United States. And there are many people in this country who believe that they should all just go back to wherever they came from. Can you help me explain to them why that kind of mentality is so cruel? I was, I mean, I, I know Spanish because I was raised speaking. A lot of them don't speak any Spanish, first of all, or any language from whatever country they would go back to. For the dreamer, him or herself, it, it's, it's a different world. It's something they don't, they don't know. They've never had the opportunity to come and visit, live what it's like. It's not, it's a shock. It's, it's very different, you know, and trust me, these dreamers would give anything for the States. I mean, they were raised to stand up for the U.S. and for the flag and for everything that stands behind the U.S. So I... They're more American than some Americans. I don't know how to explain that. It's difficult. I, it's not that they deny where they come from. It's just that they've never been to where they came from or they were very, they were kids, babies. They don't remember anything. It's different. Right. What you said earlier was so on point. They would do anything for this country. They believe in this country and what it stands for. Everything. I mean, absolutely everything. And I think they do that because I think dreamers more than anyone understand what the U.S. means to people and, and what an amazing opportunity coming to the U.S. is because they've seen it through their parents. I mean, the fact that their parents made the trip and brought them here was such a risk, but they took that risk to help their kids. And now the kids have seen what hard work can provide and what hard work can do for you. But then what you said about them going back to whatever country they, they originally are from and not speak the language or not have the same cultural values as that country or not really fit in, that would be incredibly detrimental. What, what if they don't even have any family left there? Yeah, I mean, that's the case of many, I believe, that they don't or they have families, but They've never seen them. So it's they're like, even if they did, it's like they're strangers. What words of advice would you give to dreamers who are still living in the U.S.? It's a very difficult situation, even though now they have DACA. I mean, because it's never 100% secure. Well, we know that now with Trump, it's not secure. I mean, they should keep doing what they're doing, you know, working hard, being passionate for what they do and what they believe. Like people ask me, would you recommend them coming to Mexico or whatever country they're from? It's a very, very difficult decision. And it's a, and I can't say that my experience would be the same for them. I would definitely recommend that they continue working on what they're doing, being passionate about what they're doing. I do believe that one day some type of immigration reform would pass. We're finding out that more and more dreamers, young kids, have been deported or are living in Mexico. and. It's been very tough for them. They're very tough. And just psychologically, it's difficult. Sometimes to be accepted for having a little bit of both cultures is difficult. I understand. I am very diferente. That's why the show is called that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But no, but, but seriously, you're right. I mean, these kids, not all of them are as lucky as you. Not all of them have a college education to rely on when they get to Mexico. And that allows them to then compete in the job market. Many of them don't have a college education. They had to go back and 
start over. So what are these kids doing? It's really complicated. I mean, even to get, you revalidate your studies and do all these crazy things and you don't even know the language and the system. It's really difficult. I mean, there's not even enough places for people, Mexicans, Mexicans, to go to these public schools. How can you bring all these kids over? What are they, what are you going to do with them? There's not enough jobs for everyone here already. You know what I'm saying? It's a crazy story when people are like, yeah, bring them over. It doesn't work that way. There's not enough job opportunities here for everyone that's here at the moment. Yeah. And yet there are people who would turn to me and say, so what? They shouldn't have come to the U.S. illegally. It was not their decision. You know, they were kids. And trust me, they are more American than a great majority of the Americans. And like we've talked about earlier, they would do anything for the country. That's the type of people I want in my country. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Hardworking, driven individuals who are devoted to the country. Absolutely. And I've, I've met a lot of people like that too. I have two more questions for you. What is your passion and how do you define success? My passion has always been making a little bit of a difference in this world. Um, right now with the work I do, it's being able to eliminate poverty and for there to be less hunger in the world. That's always been my passion, always being able to help others in any way that I can. That's always been my passion. How do you define success? I define success as not being afraid to do what you're passionate about. That's it. Simple like that. So, did you learn as much as I did with this episode? I hope so. And if anything, I hope this inspires you to share the story with everybody you know so that more people can understand what dreamers are going through. Also, don't forget to make sure you're registered to vote so that we can hopefully make a positive impact in the lives of all of these people come November. I highly recommend you do research on who's running in not only your state, but city and county, because all of those seats are important as well. So keep that in mind. Keep in mind who's going in the Congress seats and the Senate seats that are available for your state. And do your research so that you know and you're informed when it comes to November. And if you're interested in learning more about this topic or you want to know how you can get involved and help, go to our website, diferentepodcast.com, and click on episode 116. We'll definitely post some resources that will help you understand this and will inspire you to take some action. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Diferente. If you liked this episode, let me know by leaving a five-star review and by sharing a screenshot of this podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Just don't forget to tag me at Adiferente Life so I can know you're listening. Hasta pronto.